This is the Zero to Hear podcast. I'm your host, Danny Dumas. On tonight's show, good friend, back for round two, Jordan Sheldon runs a online marketing company in LA. I know, sounds pretty cool, right? We kind of get into what hot topics in social media, hot topics online right now, one of which was the old photo app, old filter. I still don't understand it. Does anyone understand it out there? I'm so confused by this whole thing. And Instagram taking away likes. Interesting coming from a online marketing dude to hear his perspective on what is happening on Instagram. He's not a blockchain expert, but probably one of the best blockchain explanations that I've ever heard, which was pretty interesting. We talked about his goal setting, which is super interesting. He is extremely structured, which I didn't know. Uh, Talking about waking up early, writing down the three hardest things in your day, and trying to accomplish those things as soon as you wake up. Uh, Jordan runs a couple of podcasts in, uh, in uh, out of LA. One, Mind Your Marketing. Check it out. All things new in social media, online marketing. And two, the leaders in real estate, which this guy is going to be on this coming week. So keep your ears peeled for that one because it's going to be legit. Uh, that is basically it. Check it out. Give us your feedback. If you like what you're hearing on the Zero to Hear podcast, hit the subscribe button and give us a review. Love you guys. Jordan. Welcome back to the show, man. I'm excited to do this all over again. I know. Thanks. Thanks for having me. What episode number is this now? Ooh. Something. Well, we have there. maybe like six that I haven't posted yet. So. It's probably like 65. Okay. Yeah. So I came on on 17. So. Was it 17? Yeah. Yeah. 17. Right. So you guys are. There were 50. Round, round two. That's awesome. I like it. Can you, can we start this way? Because I'm super pumped. Today we confirmed a uh, blockchain crypto uh, dude. Person. expert person <laughs> public speaking person that talks about blockchain and bit or in bitcoin or uh, crypto that i don't understand he's coming on august 8th which i'm pumped about and i told you that and you gave me a pretty good uh, explanation of what blockchain actually is better than i've heard and i've watched a few youtube videos and listened to podcast stuff on it can you just repeat it sure so <laughs> uh full disclosure <laughs> not a blockchain expert i have no idea uh but someone explained it to me once um and i think the biggest thing you have to do is separate cryptocurrency from blockchain sure. blockchain being the technology yeah uh and think about it like i have uh, uh i have a good but then there's a puzzle for you to get that good i send it over to you you then take it say you want to send it to somebody else you make a new puzzle to send it over and i don't know i only know the puzzle I gave you, or I only have access to that stream, right? Yeah. I don't have that next one and the next one. So effectively as data or cryptocurrency is shared from person to person, it becomes uh, very hard to track on where it was sent, who it went to, anything like that. There's yeah. not a quote unquote paper trail. I like that explanation a lot. The best one I've heard before Could be that. completely wrong. Yeah. Just throwing <laughs> it out there. I think we're all trying to figure it out as, mm-hmm. with this stuff, right? Which is why I'm super pumped to have Chase coming. Uh, let's talk about your world then. Okay. What new on social media? Seems like there has been, well, latest buzz, I guess. Instagram a month ago, maybe removed 
how many likes people get on a photo, but only from personal profiles, not business profiles, which I, I found. And they did it in Canada first as a test run. Have they done it in the States or no? It, uh, it's starting to roll out to users in the US as well. Um, do you know, what was the purpose? What were so, they trying to do? Uh, I think it's to, it, people are like, oh, Facebook's doing it because teenagers are obsessed with likes. I don't buy that at all. I believe they're doing it to give uh, transparency to advertisers based on engagement metrics. Mm. So you don't get sold on, um, it, it comes down to actually how many people engage with ads and with sponsored posts okay. because it's so easy to manipulate likes. So people are going out and uh, influence. I, I go out and I say, hey, I'm gonna sell your fit tee, right? I got this fit tee and I'm gonna post it, me, you know, I'm smiling with my fit tee, in this case, a nice dry hopped lager from Steel and Oak. <laughs> uh, and I then go buy likes at 30 cents a pop off some site in Thailand, India, whatever. I come back and I go to you and go, look, I got 10,000 likes on that post with the tea, you know, and I'm effectively upcharging at a dollar per like or whatever. So it just gives some more clarity to advertisers, I think. Um, that to me is I think the main reason. I do think it is gonna have a positive effect where people uh, will engage with content they like opposed to like, oh, there's like 30,000 people, therefore I'll just double tap it out of almost habit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's gonna give some, some clarity at least to advertisers and to analytics on the back end. Um, what do advertisers, it's it's easy to fake comments too, right? It's easy to buy comments. So what are advertisers looking for? I mean, ultimately that comes down to your goal, but the majority of people want you to click through or use a code, right? right. And that's where we're seeing that audience size doesn't, okay, audience size matters, but active audience size matters way more. For sure. So there was yeah. an influencer, she had 1.2 million followers on Instagram. She came out and she, but I forget her name, um, but I'll get it for you after the show. She posted, on Instagram, she's like, hey guys, I started my own clothing line. I need your help. Um, I have to sell 36 t-shirts to be able to, to get another order for my clothing line. She has 1.2 million followers, if they're real or not. I highly doubt they're real. And she can't sell 36 t-shirts. You give me 36 t-shirts, I'll go down on the road and I'll flip those in a day. <laughs> in a like, day? Oh, oh yeah, yeah I'll sell, I, mean, I sell the hell out of t-shirts yeah, down exactly. there. Like, it, it, the point is 36 is not a lot of t-shirts. Right, she couldn't make what six hundred bucks revenue off of her one point two million people who are following her. Mm. So I think that when we start to go down this road with any social media platform, advertisers who maybe were throwing money at things like the amount of likes you have or followers or whatever, um, are just like, okay, we need more. We need people who are actually active audience members who may lead to purchase. Because someone who has 10,000 active members, like these, some of these fitness people are like yeah. low audience, but when they say something, their audience buys. Mm -hmm. um, those people are much more attractive now, I think from an advertising perspective, than somebody who doesn't have a skill outside of being an influencer. If mm -hmm. you're an actor and you have a big audience on Instagram, that's great. But if your audience on Instagram is your only thing, mm -hmm. like you're not, I think that's kind of played out. So for advertisers who are partnering with those influencers, I think we're gonna come to the end of that. Or at least the down, I think it will slow down tremendously. Interesting. 
Because I feel like it's almost just getting started and just getting started, what, in the last five years, maybe? Yeah, in terms of influencer marketing? I mean, no, because I think it's just spokespeople. Like, yeah, all it is is spokespeople. Brands have had spokespeople forever. We've taken celebrities. Uh, I mean, probably not the best example, but O.J. Simpson in like the 80s <laughs> was, uh, oh, was he Ford or one of the car companies? And he went out and, you know, that's the first sponsorship that comes to my mind. Michael Jackson at Pepsi, all these people... Everywhere you look, there's a celebrity in a commercial. They become a spokesperson for something. Um, it, it it's just taking that to Instagram, mm -hmm. right? And having spokespeople and they're in their little audiences. The thing that I think w when it comes to social media that's happening and nobody's paying attention to is TikTok just went over one billion users. And like, I went on that. I went was on it for about six minutes and it felt weird. Cause it's just like a bunch of kids lip syncing and making lip sync videos. Do you know what TikTok is, Denny? I've heard people talk about it. I've never used it. What's the difference between TikTok and Vines? Okay, so well, Vines no longer around, right? Uh, TikTok allows you to make longer videos um, where you're doing a lip sync. Gotcha. It's very it's based off Vine. It's very similar. It's jump cuts where it comes in and it's just cutting, 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 and people are, you know, doing a little dance routine to some audio clip or a little that's lip sync. all it is is yeah. dance routines to audio i that's all i've explored <laughs> in it um i'm sure there are some other things you can do but the, people get really creative on there and it, you, you go on and you see people and you go okay there's some creative people on here and if you had an existing audience um or if you had a product geared towards you know a younger generation you could you, you could really leverage that platform but yeah, what is that crowd though? That crowd is probably like 12 to 17 kind of thing. Yeah, young, yeah. very young. But still, I mean, a billion users, I doubt that means a billion people. I think a lot of people would have multiple accounts right. and be bots, et cetera. But um, nonetheless, it's growing at a crazy rate. Hmm. Yeah, I won't be on there anytime soon. <laughs> Um, when can we expect the uh, Jordan Shelton lip, lip sync? And if you had to do one, what song would you? Ooh, I don't know, something Kesha maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that that's on the top of your head. Yeah, you right probably right. listen to it on Skytree Down. 100%. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, it's interesting with all that. And then you see people too, they're like, oh, TikTok's taking over. Or, oh, like Facebook is dead. Or people start saying all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, okay, I get younger generations are shifting to other platforms, but younger generations don't stay on those platforms as they mature. Right. I was on like Nexopia and uh, what was the one with the pets, the online pets when I was like 10, Neopets. Oh shit, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, if we had this hysteria around social media the same way we did with Neopets, everyone would be like, adults need Neopets and stuff. And like, no, that's just not real. Like my interest in financial articles also became way larger as I got into like my twenties. And you know, it, it's, so I think we're a little quick to jump on the like, kids are uh kids control the future i think there's indicators and we should look at them but i don't think we should just like blindly go i don't think a brand should go all in on tiktok right tomorrow you know we're gonna get into a little bit of that i think <clears throat> in terms of where businesses should be mm -hmm. focusing attention the other one thing i wanted to mention about like new stuff on social media what the hell is happening with this aging app and why is it so big why does everyone give a shit haven't we spent the last hundred years trying to figure out how to make ourselves look younger or thousand, 10,000 years? 
Yeah. Why today um, in 2019 are we trying to make ourselves look older? I I'm not just older. <laughs> like, like old, old, like creepy, like yeah. yeah, like <laughs> like end is near old. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I, there's two things going on with this base app thing. Um, one being the viral virality of it, everybody mm-hmm. downloading it and using it, and all it takes is one celebrity and the thing takes off. Yeah. Um, I think it plays to. I think it took off because it breaks the norm, and we're at this time where I think the individual user's quest for fame or validation or notoriety or likes or anything is so high that they're borderline willing to do anything, like make themselves look 90 years old. <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's fun as well. I think there is a little bit of a fun element to it. Sure. Like you take your whole staff and make them look 90. Um, so I think there's a fun element. To, I think it's like that perfect mix of, it allows people to be the great promoter because they get to post a photo of themselves in a way that doesn't look like they're just like posting a selfie. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like a sneaky way to get out there and get some validation. Yeah. Um, it's Maybe fun. that's the new influencer marketing. Maybe it's just people posting old photos of themselves using like, <laughs> right? fucking hearing aids or some shit. There we go. Um, but then there's the bigger part of this and the bigger hysteria has been that it's a Russian app. And everyone's freaking uh. out, and they're like, "Oh my god, don't download the app because like the Russians have it." Um, <laughs> and I'm like, "Your photos are on the internet." Yeah. Now, I don't worry about it downloading or being on my phone. Um, where I would worry about it is if I was a celebrity, you know, or if you're like a person who has explicit photos on their camera or something. Yeah, you probably shouldn't. Well, you shouldn't probably shouldn't have those photos on your phone, and like. <laughs> Um, because a lot of apps can access those photos. Mm. So I think there's some, like, there's some unfounded fears around the face app and how it's like uh, a Russian, a Russian company designed it. Um, as of right now, you know, the app's not digging into other parts of your phone, but yeah, there's hysteria. People like to freak out about everything. Like Facebook's been, Facebook's been reading our faces for 10 years. Exactly. So I don't know. Like, I think us collectively as society agreed that we don't give a shit about our privacy in about 2007. <laughs> and then now we're just like finally mad about it. And I'm like, we have just been like, how many terms of service things have I just been like, yep, next, everything. And I also, maybe I'm in the like minority here. I don't even care if I get hacked. Like, I just really, I don't have, anything to hide like i don't have any like you're gonna get me texting my girlfriend and my mom about like what we're eating tonight like (laughs) like you're not it's not gonna be very riveting stuff going on uh if i was a politician or if i was a celebrity yeah i would probably have like two phones one to dick around on play with apps and the other one that's locked down but yeah it's 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 wild right now it's i find it comical the the people that are the most upset about the privacy stuff are the ones on every platform the ones on every platform but the ones that like no one gives it it's hard to say this but no one gives a shit about you right you're just like a regular dude or woman walking around greater vancouver you work a regular job like no one cares but this comes back to i think people's want for status and fame man like maybe not fame but like status and people's want to feel important and it's just like that's what why we buy nice things. That's why you buy nice clothes. That's why you get that. That's why sports cars are a thing. 
Mm. You know, it's like, it's all driving for status and trying to people to get status. And I think, I think when people get upset like that, it's an opportunity for their, their voice to be heard. And when other times it, you know, might not be. So I, I get the motive behind complaining. And there are people who, if they're genuinely concerned and they're educated on the topic, yeah, it's worth listening to. Yeah. Let's, uh, <clears throat> I listened to our podcast we did a few months ago. When did we do it? January? Oh, December. Yeah. December? I think it was a little was last it before year. Christmas? Jeez. Crazy. Time flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of what we talked about was like getting started in entrepreneurship. So like how to, how to get your first sale. And a lot, a few of the comments you made were like, reach out to your friends and family, start being more active on social. Um, like depending on industry, well, really I, it's across the board, but like building a website, how do we, let's progress into like a couple of years down the road, kind of next steps and how to scale. So one thing I want to know from like your experience is, um, when's the right time to hire? And obviously a lot of listeners are somewhat real estate related with, with my show. So like as an, as a real estate agent, Usually your first couple of years are just grinding, figuring shit out, getting from 10 deals in your first year to 15 to 20. Now we're at 25. Now I can't handle all the extra stuff that goes along with being a sole proprietor. When's the right time to hire? Yeah, so um, what I would do to start off with is you gotta look at your revenue and you have to be putting a percentage of that and I say revenue, it's not your salary. If it's in real estate, mm. it's your revenue. You have to be taking a percentage of that and allotting it to either full-time staff to help you or contractors. Mm. So where the mistake, and a lot of people have probably heard before, like, okay, list all the things you're good at, list all the things you're bad at, and pay people to do all the things you're bad at, right? That seems like pretty easy advice. <laughs> Nobody ever says list all the things where you're value neutral at and pay somebody to, to do those for you. Yeah. So where is your biggest value add to your business and where is it not? Can you update your social media? Sure, but if you're shit at it and you do it every, once a month, like go find somebody for a couple hundred bucks to do that um, because this sense of busyness and feeling it is a lot of times because people are doing things that they're value neutral at where they're like, oh, I can do this, I can do this, and it eats away at their time. So by actually getting somebody and contracting those things out or paying someone, um, that's dependent on your finances and how m- much you want to grow too. Some people some people are happy. They're like, I do my 25 deals and like, I live this way, I like it. Other people want to have a team and they want to do all that. So you mm-hmm. got to look at your goals. But I would look at what, what do you value neutral at and how can you start to either automate those processes, drop them from your business, um, or get someone to do them, whether on a contract basis or or as a, you know, a part-time staffer, full-time staffer. You talk about goals there. How do you, I know you spend a lot of time setting goals. How, how do you structure them? Do you structure like business goals, uh, weekly versus monthly versus yearly versus like 10 year goals? Do you separate, personal and health goals like what does your plan look like 
Yeah, I mean, I used to separate them, um, except I think everything is intertwined. Mm. So I think it's a little hard to, I think you can categorize, but I don't separate. Okay. Like, um, if I work 14 hours a day, my health and fitness is probably gonna suffer. <laughs> so I need, there are things that, um, they have to take into account the other parts of life. Mm. So when it comes to setting goals, I do two things. Um, I write, I use SMART goals, which are specific, measurable, uh, attainable, realistic, and I forget what the T stands for. But time, time, time bound. Okay. So basically, instead of saying like, I wanna be healthy this year, I go, I'm going to weigh 100 and, you know, 85 pounds by October 1st by eating salads five times a week. And it's like very specific, time bound, realistic. And there, it's just a lot, there's a lot more clarity there. So I just know I gotta eat my five salads and then all these other things are gonna start happening. Um, and then in terms of how I attack stuff on the weekly, uh, I, I use a priority list system that I actually got from Gary Keller's The One Thing. Okay. So I write out my list um, I write out a list of all the things I need to do. Then I break them down into, okay, what's my one goal? And at work, for instance, my one goal is grow revenue. So then I go and like, what's the one thing I can do today that's gonna grow revenue? Okay, so then I put ones beside like, beside the one thing, then I put twos beside everything else that falls along that. And then I go three, four, fives. So I'd love to get to the three, fours and fives, but a lot of times, you know, I punt those um, till the next day. So that's been a good system for me. I also think um, an evolution of that has been breaking out what I would call like sprint tasks and bigger projects. Mm -hmm. So creating this, this would be like a bigger thing for me to do in a day, right? But a sprint task like email Denny back is something that's five minutes and I just gotta actually just find that five minutes. So when a meeting goes short or, or anything and I go, okay, I got five minutes, I look at my little sprint task thing I gotta do and I'll see how many I can knock out. They're kind of mindless, but they're things I need to do. So that's how I attack it on the daily. You're doing that every day? Yeah. Every I, morning you're writing these things down? I spend about, I spend 15 to 20 minutes every single day planning my day. Hmm. It's the most, uh, I think it's the best use of my time in the day is literally writing out the plan of attack and there's clear direction and I'm just like, and it's not like, oh, you're not just knocking things out for the sake of it. I do the hardest thing first every day. And then my days feel like a win. I'm like, what's the one thing if I get this accomplished, I'm gonna feel like today's a win. So yeah, it's the first thing I do every day. I have my notebook, I just write out. Probably takes me 15, 20 minutes. Mm. And then I look at the, the previous days too, right? Anything, I, if they were a three, four or five and I didn't get to them, move them to the next day. Where'd you come up with that system? So it's a Is blend it, of the one thing yeah. and then just my own my own prioritization and just yeah list hmm. and just to move things over that okay ones and twos have to get done threes i'd love it and fours and fives i can move to the next day so that's on a daily basis but what about longer term stuff yeah so the longer term stuff is what i write out um the smart goals okay which are you know i want to run a 5k in under 22 minutes and i will do so by running you know, four times a week all year. Okay. So those are what I, I actually put those out and I put those out every year um, and I'll write. And then at the end of the year, I do a reflection on here were my goals that I put out on the internet and here's how I did against them. Did I surpass, did I not, you know, where did I mess up? What learnings do I have? Um, 
or have my goals changed too? Because goals can change all it. Like you can have revelations that maybe you don't want to be a CEO with, with a thousand employees, you know, where when I was 26, that might've seemed a little bit more lucrative. And now I'm like, I don't want that at all. That sounds like hell. So, um, <laughs> yeah. You just review once a year though. As those goals change though, are you constantly going back to them? Let's say like you have revenue goals for a year and halfway through the year you look and say, okay, well we're at 65% of that revenue goal. We're going to adjust. Or are you just looking at like yearly basis for that kind of stuff? Um, usually, I mean, if it's like revenue for instance, I set a goal, uh, and I attack against that. And then once I hit it, then I would readjust. Okay. Uh, but I want to, I think we're as entrepreneurs and business people and, you know, realtors, we're so used to just like kicking the finish line forward and just keep moving the finish line forward. And you never actually get this feeling of crossing it or achieving anything. <laughs> and sometimes it's nice Very to just like achieve something, yeah. take a day, go buy yourself a steak dinner, have a, like literally just take it in and be like, holy crap, I did this. Like we achieved this. And then come back and reset the next day and figure out what you can do and what extra you can do and what's you know what the goals look like for the rest of the year or where you are you know, relative to where you a five year plan or what have you. Do you consciously do that? Like reward yeah. yourself? Yeah, yeah, I do every. I, I reward myself every time we sign a client. I, I don't care if I sign them for two hundred bucks a month or for fifteen grand a month. We're going to like. I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna just take a beat. I'm gonna say okay. Someone's paying me money for a service that I created in my head. Like, this is crazy. So I need to just take a beat and appreciate that and not be just so, like, not take that for granted because it took 18 months to get a sale, to get people paying us, to be able to, like, not be a bartender. <laughs> so I, you know, I have an alarm goes off on every single Friday on my phone. It goes off at 7.45 p.m. And it says, get ready for, get ready for work. And that's my old reminder to get ready to go bartend. It goes off every Friday just to, as a, it's a gratefulness activity for me. I could be stressed out. I could be sitting there and it's like, man, I am not work. I'm not club bartending anymore. And no knock against club bartending. If you love it, love it. I was just like, it's not for me. You know, it was a means to an end. Um, so I have those little bits of like gratefulness, you know, activities that I do in terms of like revisiting the written goals though. Um, not until I hit them, but I revisit in, in that year. That's such a cool point, Carl, of uh, a little gratefulness reminder. Where'd you come up with that? That's really cool. The alarm? Yeah. Uh, I quit. I was able to quit, and it, <laughs> and it went off the first week after I, I quit the bar, and I was like- You just left it. I was like, damn, yeah, I don't got to go back to that. And then I just, I like that feeling. <laughs> and then it's been- Six, seven years of that <laughs> alarm going off every Friday. So yeah, it's, it's a nice reminder. That's hilarious. I need to do something like that. Friday nights at 745 is good too. Cause you like work week's done or like I'm chilling. I probably yeah. got a cold beer in my hand, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a welcomed alarm for sure. It's just a little reminder every week, which is really cool. It's, it's so easy to get caught up in the stress or like the thing that happened that day that just like keeps eating at you and just that little reminder probably just kind of wipes that 
And you forget, you forget that where you are now took five years to build. Yeah. You know, I look at things like, okay, like it's so easy to take it for granted. Like we have an office in Santa Monica. It's I yeah, beyond my wildest dreams of what was going to be possible when you start in a bedroom. Uh, we have staff. I live in the States and like, just all created out of this thing. And it's so easy to be like stressed out about the next sale mm. to not take a beat and go, totally shit, this worked. You know, it's still, I want to build on it. Yeah. But like, I'm not living with my parents anymore. Like <laughs> when we all have to do that, just be like, things take time. And over five years, a crazy amount of, of stuff can happen. So um, yeah, I think those exercises are invaluable. Back to um, understanding the time and how to scale. I guess more from like your experience, not necessarily relating it to real estate, but from your experience, how did you know it was time to hire that next employee that was going to boost the business for you? Well, and with the first one, I was on the verge of a mental breakdown, I think. It was <laughs> probably the, the first. That's probably a common statement. Yeah, learning. I was like, okay. So I tracked my hours that I worked. Um, and I had, I had like 245 build hours or something on the, for the month. And I'm sure people out there are like 200 hours or whatever, 245 hours, not that much. Like no actual hours of work, like not me on my phone on the weekends. And um, I was like, I couldn't come up for air. And I started feeling other projects kind of slip. And it was one of those, okay, like it's time to get some help. And then the thing that you don't realize is finding a person to join a team, like there's a reason recruiting is an entire industry. Yeah. <laughs> because finding people, vetting them, interviewing. I'm on Google like before our first interview being like, okay, what to ask a person who comes in <laughs> for an interview and why? Uh, making up all the questions and everything you know, it's a process and you're making a sizable investment in your company and in this person. So picking the right person was huge. Um, and then as we added the next person, you know, we learned a lot through onboarding and what we needed to do through training. So really building out a training roadmap mm -hmm. and, um, and then just setting some targets based on, okay, like here's how we will staff up depending on how the, the workflow comes in um, has been good. And then, and then now it's a little, I would say it's not automatic, but it's, we definitely have a tighter process and into, okay, when this work comes in or we get these clients, then we know it's time to add, a, add the person and, and I can continue to do what I'm doing. I know, so for me, sales is my, my big thing and, and um, you know, overall vision and then like, some operational things, but I know the minute I'm doing too much client work that like it's time to hire because now I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the business and I'm not working on it. And it's something that I'll like feel it. I'll be like, I haven't done a pitch meeting in two weeks. Like, you know, we're going, there's work and stuff, but that's not how we're going to scale. Mm -hmm. So even if it means taking a little bit of a financial hit now, we're not paying myself as much now to get in that other person who really is leverage, right? They're leverage for you. They can create things for you. They can do things and be that extra 
arm for you and brain and bring all these things to the table that you know you just don't have two sets of those. So really using, this sounds so bad, but it's like your people are your leverage and you need to use them effectively and put them in the right places mm -hmm. to succeed. Um, I think that might sound messed up, but it's like, no, that's why you're starting a business or that's yeah. why you're hiring people. There's a transaction going on. I'm giving you money or I'm giving you sense of security, a team, we're doing this stuff. And right, you're gonna facilitate and help grow this thing um, it, with whatever their role is. So yeah, I think it's um, it's looking at that. When you're leveraging yourself and your own time, and you're doing that over and over again, you're never gonna grow a business and I don't think you'll ever become wealthy too. If, like if you're a realtor for instance, and you have to do every open house, you're never gonna make it. The same way a doctor or lawyer mm -hmm. is never gonna make it if they still have to show up and do the surgery or go to court. They have to run a practice. They have to, they have, to have other people that they have working underneath them. That's when they're gonna actually have like the freedom of entrepreneurship and not just be a high paid employee of themselves. Right. And I, I think that's um that's something just to think about. And like I, I don't know if I said this on the last podcast, but like a lot of people go around saying they're entrepreneurs when they're just an employee for themselves. <laughs> it's like, no, you're the whole idea of like self employed, it's like the checks stop coming and the business stops running if you stop working. Yeah. You're not mm -hmm. an entrepreneur. Yeah. You're an employee for yourself, and that's fine. You know, it's like you're not your own boss, you're your own employee. And I think it's just important to make that distinction and think about your own business or your own operation and say, okay, what percentage, if I'm 100% an employee of my own business right now, where can I kick some of that out to somebody? And where can they be value add on something that I'm value neutral or value, value negative at? If you look at that, those two differences, self-employed, when you talk about delegating and understanding that the business can only grow if other people take things off of your plate. And a lot of people that I talk to that are entrepreneurs, self-employed, they're self-employed people. They, they're perfectionists and they can't understand that the, in order to get to a long-term goal, there has to be some sort of delegation. I was talking with um, this guy, Tom Bilyeu. He started Quest Nutrition uh, and he runs uh, this thing, Impact Theory. I listened he, to his podcast. Yeah, lot. so I'm, I was asking him a question. I said, you know, I asked him, I said, when, like, did you hire too late when you were building Quest? Mm. And how did you deal with it? I'm like, everybody always says hire the best people and stuff, but that's easy to say, like, mm. when do you hire? And he's like, I hired way too late. And I realized it one day when we were growing like 40% every month and I was still making bars. Hmm. And I looked down and said, holy crap, it's time for somebody else to make some quest <laughs> bars, right? And then he had that like epiphany of like, he was probably on the verge of a mental breakdown, <laughs> but you have to have, you almost, it's like, you can listen to podcasts like this till you're blue in the face about like, yeah, I need to relinquish control. I need to pay people experts to do that. Hmm. And you'll find out that they actually make you money. Accountants make you money. Lawyers make you money. You don't like, don't go try to be an amateur accountant. Just pay a professional. It's a lot better. Um, and, but you don't really know until you get burned mm -hmm. and you hope that if people listen to this and to some people who do take action, they go, okay, I'm going to learn from their experience. Like I did our corporate taxes my first year by myself, <laughs> you telling me man, <laughs> three days of my life. I don't know what I'm doing. 
right? Like, it's it's crazy. It'd be like not knowing how to ice skate and getting thrown in the NHL. So I felt, I was like, this is nuts. Like, I just, there are people who went to co like college, university, have dedicated their lives to this. Yeah, they know something I don't. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to scaling and training and everything, I think one, if you're feeling like you're stressed out at work and overwhelmed, um, and you're living comfortably, because this is the other thing self-employed people, this is a trap to avoid. You start making a little bit of money, you're feeling those pockets starting to fatten up a bit, don't get a bigger apartment. <laughs> don't get a nicer car. Yeah. Because when you do that, that budget creep and your lifestyle creep, mm -hmm. you're gonna have to maintain that amount of work and, and, and revenue into your own pocket to maintain that lifestyle you've set yourself up for. Um, there's this guy, Naval, he has the Naval podcast. I recommend checking it out. But he said the two most dangerous things in, uh, in the world today are heroin and a monthly salary. Because you start to get, you have to hit, you have this certain amount that you're spending every month and you have to hit it. And he's just like, the salary then becomes the drug to feed that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to do things, and real estate's a great example because you guys get lump sum payments, right? <laughs> Is to live below your means if you want to scale if you want to grow a company you got to live below the money you're taking in uh and don't get caught up with the joneses and needing the tesla and this and that and because that that's just going to keep you self-employed longer so in the short term it's great but i think the building something and having people where you can step away from a business and have it operating without you mm -hmm. yeah i think you gotta live below the means a little bit and uh and be willing to to pay people I've had a couple of meetings recently with people in real estate or mortgage brokers or whatever. And my question, they're pretty motivated people. So my question is like, what's the next step? Like, where do you want to go from here? Cause you're pretty maxed out and it's just you and one assistant. Like, how do you grow or, or do you want to grow? And, and their comments back are always to do with perfection. They're like, I, I just, I, can't understand handing over a client to someone else. I just don't think they're going to get the same service. And so my point to them is always like, what's the goal? Do you want to work 120 hours a week for the rest of your life and make the same amount of money as you want as you are now? Or do you want to bring back some sort of work-life balance and continue to grow the business long-term, but take a short-term pay cut? Yeah. And they're timid. They're scared. Anyone who talks like that, they could talk about it and cloak it in these words like yeah. perfection and uh, no one's gonna have the care that I have. Yeah, it's all bullshit. Like you're just scared. <laughs> when you really get to the root of it, you're scared. Yeah. You're scared that what you built's gonna collapse. You're scared. Yeah. But I will tell you, if you spend time vetting people properly, they'll come in and do a better job than you if that's their only task. If their exactly. only task is account management, if their only task is to you know, help with closing documents, they're going to become masters at it. And the best example is that Toyota did this in the 70s. They figured out uh, on the car line, right? They had people where like there was a guy, his job, for instance, his only job is to put the left door on, left front door. That's all he does every day. And the managers would go, and yeah, you could be as a manager and be like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I should, you know, the manager wants to make a decision about how left door should be designed and put on. No, there's a guy who's dedicated his life to putting left doors on down there. Yeah, he's the best at it in the world. <laughs> yeah. So when he pull, he would pull a lever, you know, and stop the line and say, "I think the left door should go on a different way, or we should use a different type of screwdriver." Toyota listened to them. 
um, which runs in opposite to stories of Ford, where it was a very top-down uh, company, and the people who were actually doing the work, who were specialized in it, didn't have the voice and didn't have the ability to make changes. And it's not until Toyota came in and saved Ford and actually put all those systems in that we actually were to see the resurgence of it. So, um, and I believe that story's from Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Um, it's like a whole chapter in the book on that. But that's what it comes down to is people are scared. You have to hand it out people who are better than you. That is the job. Find someone who is better than you at one specific thing or two specific things and pay them to do that, right? And then that's how you you leverage up and, and move forward. And for people who don't want to do that, they love their job, but they still want to get some sort of financial leverage, then you have to have active money in other things. You have to have a rental property. You have to be in index funds. You have to, you have to go down different avenues to have money work for you instead of people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people... Uh, People get scared of that too. They just want to keep it in a savings account and work their nine to five. And if you want to do that, that's cool. But don't say you want to take over the world if that's what you're doing. <laughs> so <laughs> reverse engineering. Yeah, exactly. Just having this goal. What's the goal? Funnel backwards. You can't get to that goal by yourself. You have to put people in place. I think the idea of structure, or even just putting a structure into place, scares people too. So like having things written down, having training manuals, like you just described having the way that thing something needs to be done because you know in your head but the actual act of putting it into some sort of document or on a screen somewhere and then training people on it i think is daunting to a lot of people well if you're relying on what i would call tribal knowledge Mm -hmm. right people who you work with and you get this tribal knowledge that's not scalable chipotle mcdonald's (laughs) those places provide repeatable experience anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. They have training manuals. Those managers read them. They get the employees to make it. And it's a machine. And it's no different if it comes to um, doing the paperwork on a real estate transaction. There can be a system on that. You do this. You file that paper. You go here. You get this. Like, It really has to be process-driven if you want to scale. Mm-hmm. And you have to take the time to do it. Now, you don't have to write your whole process out in one day. Your process can change. But like, spend a couple hours on on a saturday or on a friday afternoon and say okay how does this work how does this work from start to finish um i tell people all the time to go and like what you said reverse engineer you want more clients go look at the existing clients you got and literally walk backwards at how you got them Mm -hmm. look if any of those (laughs) systems are repeatable and do that again with other people and it's like oh okay like i literally have a list of names or clients of people who've like fed me business and referral. And I'm like, okay, how did that happen? How did those get set up? And I just walk back and then I try to repeat that process in other, you know, industries or with other people. We're kind of going through um, <clears throat> building a structure right now. And it's not fun, Mm-mm. but it's <laughs> unfortunately part of the long term goal, right? We have these long term goals. The only way to get there is to have people that are going to do it a lot of what we do right because it's not scalable we can't we can't continue to grow and do the exact same stuff we're doing now so putting the structure into place is not that fun and it is super time consuming and we've been doing it for basically all of 2019 and it's still going like new crm and like adding people into the new crm and uh training new support staff putting a like video manual together of 
how to do all of the things that the support staff do. It's not fun, but in five years from now, it's going to be a lot more fun because it's going to be all there. Right? Video manuals are huge. Huge. If you find yourself doing a task all the time, mm-hmm. um, like there's this one task, for instance, that only I knew how to do in my business for a long time. And it was to make, uh, when leads came in through a certain landing page, that they automatically, uh, through using a program called Zapier, or Zapier, would funnel right into this client's custom CRM, mm. right from a, from a different landing page. And only I knew how to do it. It wasn't that complex, but I just knew the process. And one day I was like, what am I doing? I went, fired up a go-to meeting or did a screen record. I talked it through really slowly on how to do it. Save that to Google Drive. I have an internal thing. I have a document, Excel spreadsheet with, F, with FAQs on process things for our company. Yeah. Um, some of them are videos that I've recorded. Other ones are just great tutorials I found on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I just link to them. So now that someone's like, oh, hey, we need that lead thing set up. I'm like, great, here's the eight minute video. Go, like I'm not doing it, you know? So, and little things like that, you as they come, you just do them. You spend a little bit more time up front, but you build in like the video tutorials, the structure, mm-hmm. all of that. And, and it just frees up so much time. <laughs> I think we talked quickly about this last time, but want to dig in a little bit more to your experience of this is for a lot of self-employed people, it's, it's difficult to delegate. It's difficult to put these processes into place because they take time, but it's difficult to hire, but then it's also difficult to manage the people that you hire. And I think you, you said some phrase, something like it's such a completely different skill set and role in a company really is to manage the people that you put into place. Yeah, management management's an interesting thing. I mean, like for instance, since the last time we talked, I had to like fire somebody, right? And uh, because yeah, crazy crazy story. Um, but uh, <laughs> regardless, uh, managing people uh, comes down to everything. It's really hard to do, and if you're on a small team mm-hmm. where you're working in close quarters and yeah. everybody's kind of chummy and friends. It can be hard to have that distinction sometimes between friend and employer. Um, so you have to really make an active effort to, hey, we're going to do your review every three months. Hey, here are, here are the, what, here's what I expect of you. Um, and then also getting employees to, to write to me and say, okay, what, um, what do you think your job is here? And then against what I actually think their job is, but getting that, them to write that out. Things like that have been really helpful um, because management management can be a very active thing or it can be a very um, unactive thing with regards to knowing that employee. Mm-hmm. And you really have to learn what motivates them. Are they self-starters? I, you know, we just hired somebody, right? She's come on, she's great. But she is more detail-oriented with regards to the instructions that she wants for her tasks really wants clear detail mm-hmm. um, on on the assignment on each project. Where before I would have been like, hey, go figure it out to somebody. So, okay, this is making me a better manager because I have to clearly define what I want yeah. for each thing. And then she knocks it out of the park. She kills it. She's awesome. But it's a different management style. So you learn that, learn that as you go. If you're by yourself, um, if you're if you have a business partner or anything, set a time every two weeks 
me 15 minutes, 30 minutes to talk with your business partner and just have a management meeting. Mm -hmm. I swear it's a saving grace to just say management meeting, sit down, go over the finances, talk through what you like from each staff member, what they could be working on, um, what any active processes or anything that you can do to improve or help that person out or, or how you're going to attack those things you want them to improve on. And how often do you do that? I do that every two weeks. So me and um, on the, so we have two companies. We got one in the US and one in Canada. So I have a partner on the Canadian side. Um, so we meet once every two weeks, 30 minutes, and we just go through, okay, here's where we're at. Here's the money. Here's our leads. You know, here's what we're doing from a, our staffing standpoint here's where we're at and here's how what clients are we in jeopardy of losing what clients are good what like just where what's the status right like and opening up any concerns we both have um anything of that matter and that really just helps because then it makes management uh, it's at the top of my mind and i have to think while having those meetings and before i go into them even i have to be thinking about okay how is everybody performing hmm. Right. Oh, I probably need to lean in a little bit more with that staff member and, you know, poke them to get that project done. Or I need to like have that meeting or see what's bothering that person. Um, because if you don't do it, like if you wait for your staff member to have meetings with you about performance and review, you've waited too long and you're just being scared, you know, like be an employer. One of the big things I'm learning is, People need to be managed differently. Yep. And something different motivates everyone, right? Some, you know, maybe this guy's married and he really likes being at home with his wife on Thursday afternoons. You know, what, like, whatever, where she is just like super excited to get started in this career and wants to make more money, whatever it is. Um, but they need to be treated differently, I think. And I think that starts when you bring somebody on, say, what are your goals? Exactly. Are they motivated by are they motivated by money, time, uh, or maybe proximity to like experts? Right, they want to be around experts and learn. How do you filter through that though? Into bringing someone on, saying, "What are your goals?" Obviously, there's going to be a little bit of like kind of what you want to hear from them. Oh, I want to work really hard. I want to do all this. But how do you filter through that, or how do you build that relationship with with employees to get their honest feedback in terms of motivation and what? work-life so, balance, whatever it is. Yeah, it, it, it usually happens after they come on. However, before we hire anybody, we give them a, a paid uh, piece of freelance work with a one-week deadline, and we give them a task, and it's for one of our clients, and they get thrown right into our project scope, mm. and we're able to see how they work real quick. Do they take feedback? Are they quick? Are they sending it in two hours before deadline? Mm. And there's a lot of things that we can learn in that little experiment. Pay somebody a hundred bucks for something and say, okay, we want this little task done. It's going to be whatever. We pay a hundred bucks. Like, let's do it. Eye opening. Mm. Right. Where the last, we just hired a lady and, uh, you know, we wanted a graphic made. She said, oh, here's a graphic. And also here's two videos I made to accompany it. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay. I know you're hungry for this job and I know you just showed me another skill set. Like everybody else was sending graphics in last minute mm. and you're coming out with three pieces of content. Yeah. I'm going to be way more inclined to, to eat, bring you into the house and see what's going on. Right. Yeah. 
So that's, uh, yeah, things like that can be telling. But I mean, ultimately it comes down to trying to have that authentic conversation with them. Um, One of the things I've done now in interviews, and I don't know if good, bad, what have you, is um, I'll bring another, I'll bring my staff into the interview and then I'll leave. And I say, hey, I'm like, I'm not going to ask the staff anything. You can, I'm not going to talk to them afterwards, but you can ask them anything you want about working here. And I leave. And that afterwards, people have come that we've hired have been saying that was odd. Like they really enjoyed that. Because I don't, I don't, I don't ask my, my staff who's around. I think like, I think we've created something cool. I think we have a really healthy, you know, work environment. So that, and I only want people who are going to get along and, you know, like what we're offering. So if they don't like the answers that come from my staff's mouth, then they probably weren't going to be a good fit anyways. That's such a good point. And I totally forgot about that. <clears throat> Cause as a business owner, of course, if you meet with some interview, someone that you love, that is going to be a fantastic fit for this job, you're trying to sell them on the business a little bit. Right. And even recently with us, we, in our last, uh, realtor that's come on our team, she, I know she's going to be like a rock star. She's really, really good. And, uh, she was a bit hesitant of joining a team. She was by herself for like a year and a half. And I said, here's Lucas's phone number. Lucas was in the exact same situation as you last year. He was in the business for a year and a half, had done about the same amount of deals by himself. He's been with us for a year. Call him, ask him what he's thought in the first year. And after that phone call, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Which is so cool, right? It means a yeah. lot coming from someone who's in the exact same position as she, she was. Knows, she knows that you're selling on that. So having that validation, it's like reading a great review on Yelp or something, right? Like, yeah, I'll eat at that restaurant now. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can see myself maturing in that role because I've already, the proof's in the pudding, you've already done it once. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think that's huge. Especially from someone who, in this realist, in the crazy real estate world, someone who uh, potentially could be taking leads away from you, right? Yep. So having that good of a review, even in a competitive environment in the workplace is just so powerful well and real estate's an interesting one because it's like it's quasi entrepreneur yeah where you are running your own business but there is this overarching structure there is a brand at play there are systems there's like there's a little bit of structure when you step into it right like you go and join a yeah join a team or honestly the minute you get your license and sign with any you know, any brokerage, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, there's some structure in place there. There, So you are, but you want the freedom and you want to build your own thing. And yeah. you, you probably chose the profession because, um, you want it to be autonomous. So going into someone else's system, what have you, could definitely be, or something that's going to take leads from you. Um, could definitely, I, I see the challenges. Um, but once you see the growth potential, you know, and if you don't like it, you can leave. There's that too. Like yeah. if you don't like it, you can exactly. All right, I'm going back to being solo. Uh, I say that with everybody and they're trying to move to a new city, do anything. I'm like, man, you can always go back. Like, mm-hmm. not that crazy. So, in real estate specifically, you, you bring it back to like self-employed versus entrepreneur. Realtors are self-employed. The 
in my opinion, the entrepreneur type in our business is the person who's building the bigger, yep, bigger brand, right? So all of those behind the scenes things that clients don't see, like hiring, all these video manuals, like all this little extra stuff that takes a shit ton of time you don't get paid for. A lot of people don't want to do that. So when you build this, I don't know, structure, I guess, but when you build this kind of roadmap of how to run the business and then can put self-employed people into it, I think that's when it grows from being self-employed to an entrepreneur in our business. Yeah, you have to bring those people in and, and enable them. And a um, lot of people don't want to do that extra stuff, right? A lot of a lot of realtors, self-employed, whatever, are really good at the sales stuff, are really good in front of clients, are really good at negotiating and all that kind of stuff, but they don't want to do the SEO stuff on your website at midnight. They don't want to do ordering strata documents and, and all those little things in and behind the scenes that clients don't see. The fun stuff is negotiating and like dealing with people and like the expression on people's face when you give them keys to their first home and all that kind of stuff. That's the fun stuff, which is the self-employed stuff. But the entrepreneur side is all that other shit that is not fun at all, but someone has to do in order for the business to grow. Yeah, and, and I think to that point, um, not everybody has to be an entrepreneur. This was something no, that I had to wake up to. Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking this way and be with my mom or something. I'm like, mom, why don't you just start an Etsy store and start doing this and da da da? da. She's like, I don't want to do all that. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, you don't have to like. You're happy with your life and you're happy with your gig. You're happy with executing deals as a realtor or you're happy mm -hmm. with being a lawyer who goes to court every time, mm -hmm. then cool. But if you want more and you wanna figure out how to build a business and you wanna grow a team and you wanna experience you know, the next kind of like the next steps, then yeah, you have to start doing that stuff, right? But if you just wanna be a, a practitioner mm -hmm. and really hone your craft and be the best at negotiating deals and what have you then yeah be a be an agent close 40 deals a year 50 whatever however your hmm. whatever your volume is or your gci like you know focus on those metrics um but yeah if you want to grow the other side of it which is the business side of it and i think about it like this like if you removed me from marketing and you from real estate and we said great we're going to start a landscaping business We'd find a way to make that thing profitable in like probably eight months. We'd probably hire quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be on. I probably would never touch a lawnmower, right? But it's because I like the game of business. I don't yeah. necessarily. This sounds messed up. I'm not marketing. Is I I really enjoy marketing and I really enjoy storytelling, but I enjoy building the business way mm -hmm. more. Right. Um, and the marketing is just a tool for me to do that. Yeah. But I think I could do it, you know, that entrepreneur confidence, like one, I'd be scared as hell, but I would be like, okay, give me three lawnmowers and let's, you know, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so that's, yeah, I think it's a mindset thing really when it comes down to it is what mindset do you have and what do you want, right? Do you want to be doing those SEO things on Friday nights at midnight? Because like, or do you want to be out at the bar with your homies? Because it's fine to do either one. You just got to figure out what you want because you can't go around, you can't go to the bar every night with your friends and then talk all this noise that you want to be this entrepreneur Yeah. when you're not putting in the work and vice versa. You can't go out there and say you want to 
be the life of the party, socialite, do all these things, and or have you know a bunch of social um, relationships if you're staying in, working on code all night, or you know ordering strata documents, whatever it may be. So, I heard uh, Robert Herjavec say something. I can't. I don't know if it was like a behind the scenes of Dragons Den or something like that. An interview with him, and he said uh, he early on in his career he realized there's always going to be another party but I may never get an opportunity to meet with this client again or do, you know, whatever it is. He's talking obviously very specifically to his tech company, but that for whatever reason has stuck with me for a long time is like, if I show up an hour, and I know it sounds bad as a friend, but if I show up an hour later to someone's birthday party, they probably don't care. But if I miss a meeting with like this potential client, they're probably going to be like, this guy doesn't give a shit about our business. We're going to use someone else. Right. It's dependent. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs make this mistake of thinking they can buy back time later in life with like, and I would say, especially it comes down to if you have kids, like, oh, I can miss the baseball game for this client because my kid's got a bunch of baseball games. And it's like, no, that kid remembers the one you missed his whole life. So you can't really buy back the time of like, now you're 17, Jimmy. Now we're going to, I'm going to be a good dad, right? So I do think there's a... Comes back to the goals though. Like if you have these big goals then you just need to be honest with yourself, with your spouse, with your family, like whoever it is, and explain that stuff at the beginning. Totally. And and this comes back to, you know, really talking the talk and walking the walk. If yeah. you want to be the great friend or what have you, um, you should show up for your friends, right? So I think, I think it depends. I, I always look at things like um, if it's an occasion, I want to be there in social situations. Mm-hmm. If it's a Friday night, I don't care if I'm late. Like, because there are, to me, I don't know if there'll always be another 30th birthday party for my friend, but there'll always be another Friday night where to go out for beers or what have you. So there's mm-hmm. like, once again, my goals, my, like, you got to figure totally. that for yourself. So that's the thing is, well, like, early in my career, people talked about like work life balance. Are you, are you burning yourself out? And I'm like, I think I don't I don't really believe in the idea of work life balance but in a sense that it does exist I think it's very different for each individual. Some people want to turn their phone off on Friday at 4 p.m. and not turn it back on till 9 a.m. on Monday morning, right? I think we need to find a different like so I think this whole idea of work life balance it puts them on a scale and and against each other. Yeah. Which I don't think is fair and the right way to look at it. Um, I think work is when you're doing a job you don't want to do, but you need to make the money. Yeah. So you go out, you're like, okay, I need to like, I have this shift at shoppers and it's my thing. And I got to go work at shoppers an extra, like I work whatever, three shifts a week at shoppers on top of my regular thing. That's work. And I don't have a life and I hate it there. Okay. Yeah. You need to like find some work life balance, but you're doing something that's your passion and you're really into it i think work and life are more of a synonymous thing in that sense right um it's not as much yeah i feel like that that whole term work-life balance really needs to be revisited because it such puts a negative connotation on work um i had one of my staff members the other day she came in and i don't know it's like 6 p.m and she leans to the other staff member and she's like, do you know Jordan's been here since like seven this morning? <laughs> and I was like, 
yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, how late are you going to stay? I'm like, I don't know. And like, I had a lot to work to do. I was like, I'll probably be here for another hour or so. She's like, whoa, seven to seven. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, this is my life's work, <laughs> right? Like this, co this company, it, it's not just a job for me. And I love it. So uh, I don't really view it as like that it's inhibiting my, you know, life, so to speak. If anything, it enables it. I can come up here to Vancouver. I can bounce around. I can leave on vacation anytime I want and all of that. So I think we need to find like, yeah, there needs to be, I think that term needs to be shaken up in general when people throw it around. How would you shake it up? I don't know. I think like just say shitty work versus work you enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. It's, forced work? Yeah, forced work. Or like, Because look, there's a lot of people out there like we're in a fortunate position. I'm not gonna act like I'm, like there's people out there who are in unfortunate positions who they have to work two jobs, three jobs. Mm -hmm. They have to do things they do not like. Mm -hmm. And uh, hell, it could be somebody who's a realtor listening to this who's like, gotta go bartend. Like when I was bartending, that mm -hmm. was work. I did not enjoy that. Yeah. Um, there are people who have full-time jobs they do not enjoy, but they got a family support and I get it. That You need to find a work-life balance, right? Say you work on like the hydro lines when you're fixing lines. Those guys and women, they really make a lot of money doing overtime. And some of them just throw themselves in overtime, overtime, yeah. overtime. And I don't, at least in my friends, I don't think they necessarily enjoy it. That's work. Mm. They get paid a pretty penny, it's work. They're the ones I think need, it's like to talk a little bit about work-life balance, a little bit more on like, hey, like, do you really enjoy that? Okay, if you do, cool. But you're like killing yourself up there, grinding, and you haven't had a weekend off in you know three months. Yeah, it's probably time to reevaluate. Yeah. Let's move on to the next step. So, you're a couple years into a business. You've realized that you need to hire. You've made a hire. Let's say you have a couple employees now. What is the next step in terms of marketing and specifically talking about like online? So, let's say we've done all those things that we talked about last time. You've reached out to friends and family. You've attacked your referral network. You've built a website. You've become active on social media, but you aren't necessarily running ads to try to like bring more people to the business. What's the next step? How do you build a strategy through social, through online presence uh, to now scale? Because you've got people in place to do so. Yeah, I mean, for me, it comes down to content because um, if you can build out content, both that you own and that you get on other avenues, so, you know, say I was say I was starting a team here and I wanted to recruit. I would be contributing to uh, remonline.com mm -hmm. nonstop. Bunch of Canadian realtors, brokers all looking at it. Uh, and I would be contributing my knowledge to try to get people to be like, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, let's, let's evaluate a little more. Let's go try to work. Um, same thing on the content side. You know, we give away so much marketing, so many marketing videos on how to market your company. We give away... We have hours and hours of free content on our YouTube channel that gets us so much, like so many inquiries of people who are like, hey, I was stumbling by, I searched for that term and I caught the next thing I know I was in your YouTube channel getting lost in it and now they're a lead. So that allows us to scale, you know, in the unpaid sense yeah. um, outside of our network. And we're able to get meetings with people all over North America. We had a client... You know, we recently had a client worked with out of Sydney, Australia. They found us. They had custom wheels for muscle cars. 
<laughs> and it's like, sweet, actually. <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, how did you find us? He's like, I don't know. I got your YouTube channel and just got lost in it. And I was like, dang. You know, okay. You know, so for someone who's trying to scale and get outside, uh, in unpaid, I would say in, in unpaid space, because you can pay for exposure on Facebook and ads and what have you. And there's ways to do that. Um, look for ways to contribute, look for ways to, to really demonstrate your expertise through content. Um, and then when I say that in content is do the content you're good at. If you're a great writer, write blogs. If you can't write for shit, but you're good on video, record video. Yeah. If you're scared to be on camera, make podcasts, like literally find a way to do that. Um, and if you're shit at marketing or value neutral at it, pay someone to do it, right? Like that comes back to that whole thing that pay experts. And, and I think that's how you can really facilitate, um, facilitate growth from a lead generation standpoint, mm -hmm. because ultimately the leads and dollar amounts, what's gonna allow you to scale. Um, so you have to have those, those things in place. So that's where I would go First, content takes a long time to build out, but it's definitely the most defensible thing. Once it's up, it's it's content and good content, YouTube, blog, whatever. Um, it's working for you 24 seven. There's people up on there checking you out, checking your brand out, looking at videos, whatever, 24 seven. It literally does not sleep. I think people need, need to realize that it's a long-term you're building a business long-term. It's not something that happens overnight. So for example, like how long have you been putting content on YouTube? Yeah, it, we're at what, year three, yeah. four? But been writing blogs now for seven years. Yeah, You know, and it's like, okay, I have a column on Inc. Magazine and we got featured, I had an interview with Entrepreneur. And everyone can see that and go like, oh shit, you sat down with Entrepreneur Magazine, had an interview. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't see my like, my interviews with the whew, 130 <laughs> sites that you've never heard about. Yeah. Just building enough cred and writing all these guest posts for all the, like I wrote a guest post for a site called wealthygorilla.com. Took me two days. <laughs> like, I don't know if anybody's ever written it or wrote, read it, right? But it's like, you have to do all those things. So I actually use a strategy where I look for terms that I wanted to rank for. So like entrepreneur articles. And instead of pitching people on page one, the entrepreneur.com, the inc.com, the Forbes, Fast Company, et cetera, I went to the third page of Google and I was like, okay, these sites probably, you know, get 100,000 people to them. They're not doing the millions that these other sites are. And I just pitched them and said, hey, do you want guest writers or guest contributors? And then once I was on all the ones on page three, I went to page two and said, hey, I'm on all the page three. Can I get on page two? Then I went, when I was on page two, I went to page one, I went to all those companies and said, hey, I'm on all these other page two sites that you've probably heard of, can I contribute? And then you do that for you know seven years, you build up content and then you get the column. And people are like, oh my God, I have people hitting me up on Twitter, like, yo, can you give me a, a recommendation to the editor? Can you get me here and can you do that? I'm like, no, like, that's not how, <laughs> like here's, I, I literally laid out the exact strategy on LinkedIn, how to do it but nobody wants to do it. I'm like, look, it'll take you three years. You wanna be on entrepreneur.com? You, anybody listening to this wants to be on entrepreneur.com, take you three years, but there's a blueprint to do it. Maybe you do it faster, good for you, but, but like I know a three year plan to do it. And it's like, 
but then are you willing to work and put out free content and do all that and then get in the magazine and then have the credibility to go out and you know have people then start come to your come to your website and use that as leverage to get speaking gigs or use that as leverage to get on other podcasts or whatever right so that's uh i think something that is so misunderstood people think you just start on these big sites like the amount i'm telling you the amount of podcast interviews i've done that i have never even reposted because i was like oh like the host was brutal or like <laughs> it's like i get on and it's like they're talking and it's it, <laughs> been on some crazy podcasts but you do enough and you're like okay i've done 50 interviews on podcasts in the last year and i post like four of them on my facebook yeah but you have to do those ones. You have to do it. And they take time. They're an hour every time. You got to prep. You know, you prep for 30, 40 minutes beforehand. The shit takes time. So committing to content, doing the stuff, it takes longer. It's not a, you're not going to create one great piece of content and grow a huge brand. Like just, how many commercials did Nike put out in the last six months? Yeah. Right? And it's like, they're already established. They're already huge. You got to go way harder than that. Um, even in your micro, your little community, and and you have to just commit to it full go. So that's that's how I would approach it. If I was trying to grow my brand and get people in, I would just say, what's my expertise and what value do I give to the community? And how can I best give that to the world for free? Because once I'm known as the expert, I'll be paid like the expert. That's any young self-employed person's first question, right? Is like, how do I get people to know about me? There's no secret. <laughs> you just gotta keep no doing secret. a lot of shit <laughs> yeah literally content cold calling like prospecting you need to do all that stuff i had someone call me today uh she is a personal trainer she doesn't like work at a gym she just like travels around and goes to people's homes or condo gyms and trains people she's like hey uh i live in new west uh would you use a coupon or like certificate of something if i can give you like a stack of a hundred that say your first training session's free. Uh, welcome to New Westminster, whatever, whatever. For anyone that buys a house in New West, you put this in their card. Doesn't cost you anything. Just puts my name out there. I'm like, that's a really good idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Put them together. Yeah, and she called you. And how many other, like, that took time and that took effort. Sure. And that took her idea. But a lot of people are not calling. They're waiting for the phone to ring. Exactly. And and, and I think that comes down to everything. You can send a cold email. Send an email to that person you want to work with. Literally send an email and don't send a boiler, boilerplate CRM automated email. Go write, go write a real email to somebody. You do that, send 10 real emails out to people you want to work with, you probably get a response. And even with social media, it's so easy now, right? Send oh. a DM to like someone, even if she sent me a DM saying the exact same thing, I probably would have had the same response. Yeah, people, they, they try to DM things like, uh, Entrepreneur Magazine's a great one. So people, Entrepreneur yeah, Magazine yeah. has 2.4 million people or something that follow it. Yeah. But Entrepreneur Magazine's editor-in-chief has like 10,000 people who follow him. So I went back and forth with him on DM about podcast equipment. Then it's like, oh, three weeks later, some editor pitches him the interview with me, and then he's definitely like, oh, I've seen that guy's face. And then I get the interview, and then it's like, that stuff all matters, you know? But people want to go for gusto. Like, you want to get in touch with Kanye West? Go look at who Kanye West is represented by. Exactly. And get in contact with those people on Twitter or Facebook or 
someone has 2 million Instagram followers, but they only have 100 Twitter followers, their phone still buzzes the same when they get a message on Twitter. Like, you gotta go, you gotta be a little tactical with it, but you can go and find out, you can get in contact with people. If you're just literally put in a little bit of effort and like it can be overwhelming for people now though because there's so many different platforms and it's all time consuming so like let's say for this guy this guy or girl who's been in the industry for two years now has a staff member now is starting to do more on social where do they focus their time and it's probably industry specific but i guess in general is the goal to build content on six platforms or to like focus on one or two i mean i guess it's not about platforms as much as it is about people so right um i talked with the cmo of berkshire hathaway home services uh georgia they're one of the biggest uh brokerages in the southeast he said no matter what every monday for two hours i spend time calling my network and i just catch up with people i just call them he's like i have it all set he said i've done it for 20 years the top salesman at IBM. That's how he built his whole his whole book of business at IBM before that. <laughs> so it comes down to people and it, where are those. So where do you have those connections with people? Are they on platforms? Are they on the phone? If you're an older agent listening to this and you're like, oh, social media seems crazy. That's fine. Pick pick up your phone. Use what you've used. Yeah. Go nuts like that because. So I just think it's really about focusing on the people and where they're at for you. So you can build a huge referral base, which is probably 85% of, if not more, of you know the agents listening to this, their business. So, you know, this guy's a CMO of one of the biggest brokerages in the US, 4,000 agents or something, and they're on just their team. And that's what he's doing with his time. So I was like, yeah, things are time consuming, but when you repeatedly put time into things that are long-term valuable, they become very valuable over the long term. So that's what I would say to anyone who's got three or four, like I have to make that conscious effort. Like I have a list of people who are in my network. I'm like, all right, time to reach out. I set reminders, like time to reach out and time to just see how they're doing. Like time to get top of mind. Time to see how we can help. Hey, we did a project two years ago, anything in the pipeline? Like, what are you doing these days? It's such a valuable thing to do that a lot of people take for granted, especially when you get busy, which is, part of the power of scaling when you have someone who's able to do all that admin work or ordering strata documents or whatever then you're able to take a bigger percentage of your time and do those types of things that actually generate business right yep yep work your network mm. and that's where i said like when i find myself in too much client work yeah. and i'm not actually building my network or working it or, or reaching out to people okay i need to i need to hire i need the I need to, you know, if I look at it like a leaky boat, where am I leaking from and where can I quickly plug in, plug in those holes yeah. to keep this boat moving forward, right? Um, and if I think about my time is really what's leaking in, right? Or, or you know, the, is what's sacred, then it just becomes easier to look at what I need to do. And sometimes I go like a month without realizing. I'm like, gosh, like, you know, it's not like something you just like snap your fingers and kind of get into. It takes time to, to recognize and iterate over over time, but I think it becomes uh, a valuable mindset. Especially in our industry, real estate, where transaction hap transactions happen so far apart. So it might be whatever, you're buying a your first condo and then three or four years later upsizing, but at the same time, it might be the young family who's moving from a condo to a house that's gonna be there for 25 years. So 
the art of staying in contact with people is so valuable for when they go to sell in 25 years. Or when their sister or brother exactly. goes to sell six months later. Yeah. Right? The whole thing about real estate is uh, 85% of consumers say they would use the same agent twice. Is it and only high? 15% do. Because agents, oh, okay. I'm talking to you now, everyone, you guys get so fixated on the next sale, and I get it because you got to put food on the table, that you forget about your past client. Your past client's already given you money. They've already cut you a commission. Like, and not a little bit of money. Like, don't think, oh, this and that. Like, no, no, they paid that to you from like the home sale. Like, this is a payment. It's a sizable one. <laughs> you should probably follow up with them. Hey, how are you liking your new home six months later? You don't have to be there. I don't believe in this, like you have to be their best friend thing with your clients, mm. but check in with people, see how they're doing. Wow, what are you liking? How can I help you out? You know, what what's going on in the neighborhood? Wish the kid happy birthday, like have a relationship. And then, you know, and then not be afraid to ask for the referral too. I think a lot of people, and I think it's a, I think something, and I think this is, it's more prevalent in Canada um, I, I feel like Canadians are more scared to ask in general. Mm -hmm. We're just like, oh, that might come across as rude or pushy or anything. And it's like, no, be clear. Like you have a relationship and it's nothing to be like, hey, do you know, is anyone in your family looking to buy or sell? Because I'm, I'm, you know, I would love to help them out too. Mm -hmm. It's not that crazy to say to somebody. Yeah. But we're so timid to and kind of like back off, take our foot off the gas and we go and want to chase some cold lead instead of working the person who's already given us money in their network. It's a lot easy to, easier to follow up when you're providing value to people too. The one thing we do in our follow-ups is a little blurb at the bottom saying something like, we wanna be your source for all things real estate. If you're doing a reno in three years, if you have a plumbing leak, like we have contacts for that. So rather than stressing and Googling and calling seven people, we've got people we've worked with, we'll give you the phone number, it takes time away from you. Well, this is what Zillow, like Zillow's trying to do in the States is really a closed loop mm -hmm. for the transact from the transaction side of things. So if you can be a closed loop for everything real estate and be that expert and truly be an expert, don't be an order taker, but actually know contractors, actually know good lenders. Mm -hmm. And don't just pick a lender that you're all chummy with, get a good lender. <laughs> I know the realtor lender, like you're not supposed to give each other favors for deals, but you all do it anyways. Like not true. <laughs> you're like, that's never happened. No, yeah, no. I know. What I you don't, mean. I don't believe it. P lenders will call like mortgage brokers will call us and be like, Hey, we'll give you 500 bucks. Every deal you refer to. I'm like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Because that's just not in the best interest of the client. Exactly. Um, so that's why it, it really, and that's a good thing to just like have that mindset to really take on, you know, the, the client's best interest when it comes to referring those people and doing those things and become this closed loop for them when it comes to real estate. And you're, the more contact you have, the more they're gonna talk about you and the more that's gonna lead to business. The, probably, this is something that educating younger people in the business, um, they don't think about, but ending the transaction on a positive. So the transaction, you're showing someone 40 places, you're writing an offer, you're going through subjects, you're doing all these things, you move in, you meet them with keys. They call you a week later and be like, hey, there's this hole in the drywall that we didn't see that they didn't repair. Rather than being like, oh, let me ask them. Just like get it fixed. It costs $100. Like 
ending the transaction well rather than just being like, oh yeah, let, let me see what I can do and them having to contact you again in five days because they haven't heard from you. I, I listen or to cleaning professor. is such a big thing in real estate, right? A lot of people don't clean very well. Hiring a cleaner for a condo is like $200 for a house, like three or four. Just oh, do it. And and the final memory of the transaction is so crazy. It, it's it, it's important. It, it's so, it's that important. People, the way they think. So think, go with me on this experiment this thought path, right? <laughs> You're going to go on an all-inclusive vacation to Mexico. Let's say it's a, let's say it's 1500 bucks. You pay 1500 bucks now and you go eight months from now. Mm-hmm. Your last day on the resort, they hand you a goodbye drink. You know, you're like, hasta luego, high fives, great vacation, right? While you're there, you're drinking, everything's gravy. Um, second scenario, while you're there, you're gonna, you don't pay for anything, but while you're there, you're gonna spend $1,500 over the course of the week. Every time you buy a drink, you're paying, you're paying, you're paying. You still had an okay time, right? Now let's go to the third scenario. You go, you have the whole week, you're drinking, everything, amazing. On the way out, you have a $1,500 bill. <laughs> it's all 1500 bucks in a week in Mexico, but three drastically different experiences. So, coming back to this thing yep. just fix the drywall mm-hmm. just pay the cleaner yeah just like put like leave a bottle of champagne on the counter when they come in like know your client just yeah make it enjoyable because the last thing i want to do is see that drywall with a hole punched in it mm-hmm. or pay 1500 bucks at the resort in mexico it's no different yeah right it's like understanding your customer a little bit not just like well i got my commission so see you later that's not what people want so yeah it's 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 so crucial let's end like that that was a pretty good ending thanks again for coming on man thanks for spending time with us this week while you're here awesome no Appreciate it, was, it. it was awesome i'm Always glad good to, to catch back. up yeah yeah we'll have to get you down to california yes yes i'll be in california in november amazing and it'll be on the Leaders in Real Estate podcast. We got that one up now. So yes. check that one out. Like it. How Beautiful. long have you been doing that? Uh, we're getting on a year now on that. We got the Mind Your Marketing podcast, which is the bigger following. And we talk about marketing and um, we get some exciting stuff coming down the pipe with that. And then Leaders in Real Estate, where we just interview um, people who've killed it in the industry from all over North America. And we talk about their journey and where they got to and what lessons they have to impart on people. Cool. Love it. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Later.